Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to this week's episode. This week we are chatting about grief and I have someone special with me to help me talk all about it. Uh, I have Stephanie with me. Stephanie is a trauma-informed counsellor from Arena Counselling in Canberra in Australia and Stephanie encourages her clients to be curious about their internal world and to heal the parts of themselves that hold their emotional wounds. So she's the perfect person to chat grief with me. She's got a wealth of study behind her uh, and both personal and professional experience dealing with grief. So welcome to the show, Stephanie. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to to join you today. I'm really thrilled that you and, and quite honoured that you asked me to speak with you. Um, before we launch in, um, I did want to say, because normally I would be on Australian land and I would acknowledge the traditional owners, the Ngunnawal people um, whose land I live and work, but because I am currently in Phoenix, Arizona, I wanted to acknowledge the Navajo and Apache, but also the Hopi tribes on whose land I'm sitting as we record this. That's awesome. Thanks, Steph. So today I want to talk to you about grief and the many ways which people experience it. And I'd love you to share with us a little bit about your own journey. Mm-hmm. And then if we have time I also want to declutter some of the myths or misgivings that so many of us including myself have about grief but before we dive into all of that it'd be good to get to know you a little better or help our listeners get to know you a better um, and who they're talking to so can you tell us a little bit about you and your home life your working life and whether you've always worked as a counsellor uh, so I haven't. Um, I came to counselling as a second career. But firstly, I um, I am married. I have three kids. I've been married for 20 years, believe it or not. Um, wow. <laughs> I, I live in Canberra. I was born in Melbourne. Um, I still consider myself from Melbourne, even though I've lived in Canberra many, many years. So I came to um, counselling as a second degree. I uh, studied psychology, part of my undergraduate degree, 20-plus years ago. Uh, I also studied and, and achieved honours in sociology and I found the, the the balance of the micro and the macro were a really good way of looking at the world. So that is a really good context for me um, and I used a lot of that when I worked in the Australian Public Service for close to 15 years. Mm-hmm. I worked in human human resources roles and people-related roles for many years, uh, many learning and development roles, including some time spent training Australian Border Force recruits uh, in our in ethics, integrity and professional standards. I decided to return to study, um, I won't bore you with that story, but I returned to study to pursue my original plan of being a therapist. So I started doing that about seven years ago and I've subsequently achieved my master's in counselling, but I work more from a psychotherapeutic approach. So counselling sort of fits under the umbrella of psychotherapy. Um, I've always been fascinated by people um, and mental health uh, and I have close personal experience with mental illness in my family so that also draw me to the work drew me sorry to the work but 
uh, I guess on reflection, I think um, I come from a very long line of helping professionals um, in my family. So it, it felt right for me to, to do this. And it's felt so right ever since I started doing it. And I look at my previous career as uh, market research to do this work and to be able to work more closely with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm. So grief is obviously something that you have studied academically Mm -hmm. through your degrees and your master's, but it's also something that you have managed yourself in recent years with your own personal experiences would you mind telling us a little bit about your own situation and how grief showed up for you sure firstly I I don't think um, anyone escapes grief in some form across their lifetime Um, we all obviously face the inevitable um, and it's something that we try and avoid thinking about uh, a lot But before I really dive in, I I wanted to just add a little caveat about the way that I'm going to talk about grief today, and that is that it is a very complex area of work. It is the way people grieve very much depends on the culture that they come from, the social situation that they're in. So there's many intersections to grief. And so I really want to make sure that people, that your listeners understand that I'm talking a very broad brush approach today. Um, And I really want to acknowledge that I am not going to capture the full picture of it in the brief time we have together. Um, And also I'm talking from my own personal experience. So um, I really wanted to add that in there before I get too far into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you said that because it is so intermingled with our experiences in the world, our cultural understandings and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those things play such a significant role. So you can't really, there's no one size fits all approach. Absolutely. um, And this is something that we talked about before the show, how due to our, our, our time restrictions, and I guess just the, the, the topic of grief being so huge, Mm. we have to, kind of simplify it but I'm glad you've you've said that and um, made our listeners aware that although we will talk about it in an oversimplified way it doesn't mean that grief is a simple or straightforward of course absolutely far from it <laughs> so as I said I, I you know I don't think anyone escapes grief uh, in some form I, it really just depends whether or not they recognize it as grief my personal journey Uh, started about 15 years ago, uh, probably earlier when I lost my grandparents, but very deeply about 15 years ago when I lost my second baby when I was um, 19 weeks pregnant. If I reflect back, I didn't grieve very well at this time um, and it manifested for me in pretty ugly ways for a lot of those 15 years. Growing up, the grief that was modelled for me was stoicism. Uh, So I don't think I ever saw my mum cry uh, when she lost her parents. Um, And if I'm honest, I felt a bit unusual in my family for being somebody that did cry and did feel it and did get overwhelmed by grief um, and very quickly learnt that if you do cry, you don't let anyone see it. And I don't Mm. think I'm alone in that. more recently, I lost both my parents. Uh, so my mum died of a died suddenly of a heart attack about four years ago. Her anniversary was this month, uh, and my dad died of cancer in January 2021. 
I had a complicated relationship with my parents, uh, so grieving them has been equally complicated. Since my dad's death, I've also become estranged from my siblings, which is another form of grief. But uh, again, I won't, I won't dive too much into that one because that's a pretty complicated one to explain. So yeah, it's a, it's. I guess my point there is I, even though I'm doing this work and um, and well qualified, I'm I'm not immune to the human experience. Yeah. So I. And, and sorry. Keep going. Sorry, I was going to say to your point there. We we often do think of grief in terms of losing a loved one. Like if mm-hmm. you asked, you know, people about grief, that's probably their initial reaction or response is that's the sensation you feel when you lose a loved one. But it's not just that, is there? I mean, mm. there's, there's so many other circumstances when we experience the feelings of grief um, beyond just, I shouldn't say just losing a loved one. Obviously, that's significant. Of course. But, you know, are you able to share a few other examples when we might feel the sensations of grief that aren't related to losing a loved one? Uh, well, I, I guess um, the best way to uh, probably this is probably a good point in which to describe the different types of grief. So, we, as you've said, we often think of grief in a finite way. So, someone dies, they're gone, and they're never physically in our lives again. That's that's the sort of the quintessential definition of grief for most people. But the other types of grief we refer to as non-finite losses. So they are they're often the tricky ones. They can include things like divorce or separation, um, losing a loved one to an illness like mental illness or dementia. Some people um, experience quite significant grief losing pets um, or losing items. It's, yeah, and that's where the complexity of grief can come in. So the thing with losing someone to an illness, particularly mental illness, is um, the personal persons are physically still in our life, but they're not who we knew them to be. Um, so I've experienced this. Also, uh, my oldest brother has schizophrenia. And so mm. I continue to experience this grief because he is still with us, but he's not who I remember him to be. Grief can also be defined as complicated or disenfranchised. So uh, it becomes complicated when someone struggles to journey through their grief. Um, and we do refer to grief as a journey because it's sort of the best analogy to, uh, I guess, touch base with to see how we're, how we're going and whether or not we're grieving well. So when someone struggles to journey through their grief and, and start a new life beyond you know, the person or, or thing that they've lost, then we refer to it as complicated. They're often diagnosed with depression in the months following the loss because they will lose hope and struggle to function in daily life. Mm-hmm. Grief is disenfranchised when it, can, it can't be openly expressed or experienced um, and is not considered socially acceptable. So things, even though things are changing and we've come a long way with um, our understanding of mental illness, losing someone to suicide can be an example of disenfranchised grief uh, because in many ways it is still misunderstood um, and there's a lot of shame associated with it. Another example, a very sort of big example of where a good amount of disenfranchised grief existed was during the AIDS epidemic. There was a lot of mm. um, a lot of loss there. Obviously, very difficult, um, but there was it, that is an example where grief can be complicated by social, cultural, spiritual, um, and religious beliefs um, or experiences. Is 
can you grieve for something that doesn't happen? So, you mm. know, we we talk about people, obviously, but the specific thing I am talking about, our situation, is um, my father recently ended up in um, a wheelchair after a complication from a medical procedure and so um, we'll spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair mm. now and the the feelings that came up and apologies listeners I'm not trying to use this as my own personal therapy session mm-hmm. but, you know while she's here I guess the thing that kind of made me curious is the overwhelming sadness mm-hmm. that that came over not just my you know my father and my stepmother but our family and it was like we should all be grateful that he survived. He's still here. He's still mentally sound. But there was this, yeah, overwhelming kind of sensation of loss for the future that he thought he would have. Um, him and my stepmom have just recently retired and they mm-hmm. had planned their retirement caravanning around Australia yeah. and they love rock and roll dancing. And there's, you know, all this, you know, kind of lost potential. And I, I couldn't work out if, if that's grief as well, because it's you're not losing a the thing that you're losing never existed. I guess you know it's it's just opportunity or potential. Does that count as grief? Of course, it does. And I, I'm very sorry for your experience, and and I I feel for you and your family. What what you're describing there is a loss of of a future you believed would exist, um, and that you know we we all. Um, go through our lives thinking you know we have a, a, an idea or a picture in our mind of what we're going to do with our lives um, and when something like that happens um, we do feel robbed and we feel sadness and um, and yeah we experience the grief for the for the life that we had hoped to have or we'd hoped the person would have um, you would see this in in situations like you've described where someone becomes disabled unexpectedly, uh, where children are born with um, with difficulties or special needs. Yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is absolutely great. I'm guessing grief. even pe- people that struggle with fertility mm-hmm. issues and that kind of thing, yeah. And absolutely. I guess even, you know, potential career or you know, job press prospects in the future and think, you know, people go down different paths. And I guess I guess it's reassuring to know that there's a not that we need labels, but sometimes it feels comforting to know that what we're feeling is real and somewhat and valid. Yeah. Into a box. Yeah, yeah. It validates those those feelings. So mm. thank you for clarifying. That's that. okay. So now that we kind of understand a bit more like the breadth of grief, mm-hmm. is there a recognizable set of symptoms or emotions that we feel with grief like can you can you tell us some of the things that people might most commonly experience uh well i guess um the best way to dive in really there is for me the way that i experience well anything i experience on an emotional level particularly difficult emotions i feel them somatically and experience them somatically which means that i i my body holds a lot of that emotional experience. Um, uh, I live with an autoimmune condition uh, and I'm convinced that's a manifestation of, um, of my grief in many ways, including the physical trauma of losing a baby preterm. Um, and so when I feel my grief, I can feel it quite physically. Uh, but in saying that, I think 
most people in the initial moments, days, weeks following the loss, uh, they their grief can present uh, acutely as shock. So they feel numb and they feel like they're living in a haze. They can function enough to do what's necessary, including preparing for funerals and rituals and what have you. But I think the best description I heard was somebody saying that it's like you're driving through a fog uh, and where in the car you feel safe but you can't see clearly what the road ahead looks like. Everything's hazy. Mm -hmm. So you feel like yourself and you know you're there, you're present, you're you're functioning, but everything just feels a bit hazy. So that's can how that's how it can feel initially. Um, and that is very much that shock experience. But as we've discussed, grief is a very individual thing and so it can look different for everyone. Um, uh, grief can become complex because often people expect grieved people sorry, expect people to grieve a certain way. Um, and that's where you can see family tensions existing following the loss of somebody. Um, I know in my own personal family, I um, the way that I grieve is I go into a bunker. I call it a grief bunker. Um, and it's mm-hmm. where I need to go to be by myself or with close loved ones. It's where I cry as I need to, I speak as I need to, I process what I need to um, and then I'm ready to come back out and join the world. Mm-hmm. Other people can be incredibly and outwardly emotional and they um, they need to speak about the person and their emotions in a very public way and this can make others feel uncomfortable because mm. it, particularly when we're talking about grief related to death, People fear death and it makes them uncomfortable um, and it's it, it's a difficult thing and, um, and people may think that somebody needs to be a bit more private about their grief. Um, other people channel their grief into action um, and distract themselves from their emotional experience. And sometimes that can maybe be seen as more socially acceptable, but it doesn't... Um, it can be a bit misleading because it, it can give the impression that the person is coping when maybe they're not. That's just how they've um, how their their grief is manifesting. We often hear that there's no right or wrong way mm-hmm. to grieve. You, you just mentioned maybe accept some more socially acceptable or less socially acceptable. Some of the things that that people outwardly, you know, might outwardly display. Mm-hmm. Are there more helpful or less helpful behaviours that we can practice if we're going through grief? Um, I wouldn't put it down necessarily to a distinct set of behaviours. From my perspective and the way that I work with clients, um, I think the most important thing is being aware of yourself and aware of your grief experience if you have greater awareness of how you cope generally with difficult emotions or difficult situations then you're going to have a a, it that's going to go a long way to helping you along your grief journey because you'll know who you are and how you'll react and how you can manage that so for example the time between losing my mum and my dad the first time round, I uh, took some time initially and um, and then checked in with my personal therapist. I let her know when my mum had died. I said, I'm letting you know that my mum has passed and I'm not ready to speak to you yet, but I will be in contact in coming weeks. 
And then when my dad died, I took it a little bit longer. I think I was sort of in regular regular therapy sessions anyway, so they were already set and I was able to sort of talk with them. But in saying that, I found with the with when I was working through my grief for my dad, I was maybe seeing my therapist too often. Um, I was going weekly at the time um, and it was keeping me in those hard emotions rather than giving me time to step out of it and, and be in the world a bit and then come back to it as I needed to. So it, it is something that you really need to, again, it's a very individual experience um, and it's that awareness of yourself and, and how you would normally react or deal with something difficult that goes a long way to showing how or predicting maybe how you may grieve. Mm, and it it's so interesting because, you know, you've w- witnessed, I've witnessed in my family the different ways that even, you know, after my mother's passing, my brother and I, who are very close, our ways of grieving were like black and white mm-hmm. and he was very much an action and distraction type of mm-hmm. needed to keep going, needed to keep moving, keep focused on something, set some goals and I was like, I'm. I didn't have the term bunker, but I do like that. <laughs> I pretty much. I was like, um, okay, work. I won't be back for eight weeks. Mm. I'm. I'm going into a little hole, and I like. Uh, what I put? Oh, I, I'd bought this um, old piece of furniture, and I stripped the paint, mm-hmm. and I sanded, and I varnished, and I like put this. I'm pretty sure this. I still have it in my house. This piece of furniture is held together with tears mm. because, like, weeks and weeks of crying went into the. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's so I think lovely, though. More tear, more salt, <laughs> salty tears holding it together than there is, you know, nails and and glue. But it was. Like I found it very therapeutic mm-hmm. to be doing something, but I wanted to do it in isolation and then, you know, intersperse it with lots of tear jerky movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I was like, I need to, I need to get it all out because I can't function in society until I feel like some of this weight is gone. And, and my brother and we were, you know, raised same house, same parents, mm-hmm. a very similar lifestyle and uh, are only a couple of years apart and our our responses and our journey through grief were so different, mm-hmm. um, but both equally as valid, I think. Exactly. Being. Yeah. Mm. And would you say that you both uh, would normally cope with difficult things in those ways or do you think it was just specific to your grief? Um, I think, yeah, my brother is definitely more of a doer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably definitely more like of a processor. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing I was like hyper aware of at the time is I was working in the police force and I was so worried about being triggered at work mm. that I was I was worried that if I hadn't given myself the space to come to terms with it, that I would be in a situation and would just lose it. And I was like, this is not, it's not safe for me. It's not safe for my partner or my team. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, frankly, that's not going to be helpful at all. So I think my workplace scenario was such that I needed to try and, I, I don't, I don't want to say the word fast track because mm. there's no such thing, but mm-hmm. give myself space to process where my brother was like, oh, I'll slot the processing in mm-hmm. on the side, but I need to have I need to be distracted from it with with 
work. And he was working in an office environment, which is probably um, not easier, but just, you know, he could he could compartmentalise possibly easier than I could with my work at the time. And so mm. um, that coupled with maybe the way that we process emotions generally anyway, did kind of show up in two very different journeys. But But yeah, both, I mean, both equally as valid and and both of us have continued on those journeys and neither one of us have um, fallen apart or had things, you know, show up down the track because we didn't process it. Mm. It's just, well, not yet anyway. um, Mm. It's Yeah, it was two very different experiences. Well, what you're showing there is that you, you're, you're, I guess, going to my point that you have awareness of yourself and there was incredible insight there to know that that's what you needed. And I think that's where we get lost with grief a lot is that we feel, I don't know whether we necessarily acknowledge it, but there's a lot of pressure and um, a lot of people report feeling like they need to just put their grief aside and get back on with life. Um, and that's that's not always an easy thing to do. When I lost my baby 15 years ago, I was back at work within a week of delivering her and I was acting like nothing had happened and everything was fine, um, and I shoved mm-hmm. that grief right down um, and it mm-hmm. manifested in what's pretty close to was pretty close to a breakdown about nine years later when a colleague lost mm-hmm. a baby in a similar way, and that yeah um, that was fun 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 journey that one but that was oh. what really prompted me to um, to enter therapy myself um, for the first time and start to really uh, tackle that hidden and buried grief and I'm still I'm still on that journey I still because I still experience it quite physically I do a lot of Mm -hmm. um, body work to try and um, release what's held in my body because uh, because you know our head we are our bodies we are one symbiotic system our head's not detached Um, it's all it's all connected and it's really important to pay attention to what what our body is telling us Mm. it's probably a good time to debunk a few myths because you know the fact that we've used the word journey a couple of times Mm -hmm. and and there's a few there's a few things that are either commonly thought of or said around grief which I know are not probably right Mm -hmm. or true but I think it's you know it's beneficial to hear it from from an expert Mm -hmm. so the first one I would like you to talk around is the idea that grief happens in predictable uh, orderly stages. You know how you always hear about the stages of grief yes. and oh you're in the you're in the um denial, denial phase mm. or whatever and, mm-hmm. and like that that will end in three months and then you'll be in anger and you know whatever it is. Like talk to us around the stages of grief. Is that a thing? Oh look, I think the stages of grief that you're referring to they were um, put together by Kubler Ross. They they're incredibly helpful, but they can be a little bit misleading in terms of this idea that grief is linear. Um, I like to describe grief as a meandering river making its way to the ocean. Uh, you don't necessarily arrive where you expect it to. Um, you may end up in different places or, or emotional states along the way. So it, uh, grief oscillates um, back and forth mm-hmm. and we can, we can go through periods where we think we're functioning fine. Like I explained um, my example with my, when I lost that, my baby was um, I thought I was fine. I had everything under control. I was um, back into life and 
And every now and then, particularly around her anniversary, around Mother's Day, um, I would feel that grief on some level. And then I would go back to life again and everything would be fine. Um, but then when I uh, experienced the, the, the time with my colleague who had, uh, had the loss in a similar fashion, that's when my grief manifested in a totally different way. Um, and so it doesn't just disappear. It's not something we just put on the shelf uh, when we're finished with it. Often people think, well, funeral's over. Okay, back to life. Um, mm-hmm. It is... It is something that will be with us in some form along the rest of our life journey. And so, yeah, so while the, the stages are helpful in terms of describing what you may experience, they don't necessarily happen in, a, in that sequence. You can experience mm-hmm. those, uh, the emotional aspects of grief at any time. And you can be taken straight back to that acute feeling of grief by, you know, a, a scent or a, something you hear or something you see um, and all of a sudden you, you're really feeling that, that grief acutely again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was really helpful. So the next thing I've made note of and when I knew that I was talking to you, I tried to like perk my ears up a little bit and hear about the way that people talk about grief or, you know, you see things on TV. Mm. One thing, a line on, that I saw recently on a movie was the idea that time heals all things, you know, that quote of time heals everything. Yeah. It'll be all right in time. You'll feel this now. In time, you'll feel better. What, how do you feel about that quote or that line that people throw around? Oh, again, I think there's um, it's helpful, but it's not it's not everyone's experience. I think time definitely mm-hmm. does make things easier. The further we the distance further we get from something that's painful, time wise, the the less it will feel as hard as it was, and the harsh reality of loss is lessened. But it doesn't necessarily take away that pain um we can hold the pain differently but sometimes work actually needs to be done to to get through those those parts of us that protect us and have those really strong defense mechanisms and and push down those difficult feelings Um, sometimes work needs to be done to really release that that hurt and that grief and that um, emotion because often, you know, particularly when I work with clients, often there's, you know, you have these very protective um, parts of it of yourself, but then there's also these wounded parts, and and they need to be heard, they need to come to the surface, and they need to be acknowledged because we don't often give them the voice we need to at the time, um, and unless mm-hmm. that happens, then time's not necessarily going to heal anything. So what about the idea of, we talked a little bit around the feelings that you might or the sensations you might have when you are going through grief. Mm -hmm. Does it feel the same regardless of what it is you've lost? So if it's a pet or a loved one or an opportunity or, you know, um, you've separated from your partner, is, is your unique feeling of grief going to be the same regardless of what you're grieving? Um, I think that that what popped into my head as you were asking that question was that quote, um, it's better to have loved and lost than to not have loved at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Often the degree to which we grieve is correlated with the relationship we had with the lost person or thing. 
Um, and the more you love, the more you may grieve, but that's not necessarily a given. Um, so I, you know, I mentioned earlier that we can have complicated grief or, uh, complicated relationships. So, um, estranged relationships are an example of that. Um, they, they change the grief landscape and they require a, a different type of healing. Um, but uh, yeah, so a lot of, uh, more often than not, the general rule is the connection you have with what's lost will often mm-hmm. um, be correlated with how deeply you feel that grief. Oh, I like that. That's a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you talked about the me- meandering river, mm-hmm. um, you know, headed towards the sea. Do we do we ever get to the sea or the ocean? Like does grief have an end point and once you've dealt with it, it's, it's done? done mm. or or do we do we just you know does the river just get smaller and smaller and you know slowly peter out till it's just a trickle like um i don't not to be lost in metaphors but i guess yeah i i wonder if you if grief has an endpoint i think what i've observed with some clients is that they will reach uh, a point in their journey where they they, they don't feel that fog so much anymore mm-hmm. um, and they feel like they've, they've achieved a bit more clarity in their life um, and they never stop grieving. They never stop feeling sad that that personal thing is gone um, and they will still have those moments where they're, you know, they're, it takes your breath away. Um, but they are able to move forward with more clarity in their life and have confidence and hope again, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's possibly what you're what you're describing in terms of that river or the river trickling or becoming. Mm-hmm. You know, once it hits the ocean, it's it's you know part of that big body of water. Um, I, I think it's sort of there's some relief there that that heaviness is lighter. There's a, there's a graphic that sort of goes around social media every now and then which sort of shows grief in terms of um, the size of your grief doesn't lessen but you grow around your grief. So we refer to that as post-traumatic growth. Um, and mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the person's name. Um, he wrote a book with, um, oh, I can't remember her name, the lady from Lean In who's... Uh, she was working at Google or Facebook. What's her name again? Um, I don't know. Oh my goodness, it's dropped out of my head. I, uh, um, anyway, I'll find I'll find it later, and I'll let you know. Um, but she lost her husband suddenly, and she wrote a book um, with a psychotherapist or psychiatrist. I think he may be. Um, and he, they, it's, the book is called Option B, and that's an incredible uh, resource for people if they are grieving. Um, and they refer to bouncing forward. So a lot of people will say, don't worry, you'll bounce back, everything will be fine. But you never go back to who you were before that loss. You bounce forward and you have this growth post that loss. And so we grow around our grief in a way, if that image mm-hmm. helps at all. Yeah, it does. Is it Cheryl Sanders? That's it, yes. Um, and if I had my Instagram in front of me, I'd find the name of the guy she wrote the book with, but I'm sure we'll be able to find it. Uh, Adam Grant. That's it, yes. 
I'll, I'll put a link to the book in in the show notes. So if people want to have a look and um, find out more about it, they can they can go to the show notes. Right, and and, the, and there's a couple of other books that I'd, I'd recommend as well. But we can maybe do that at the end if you want to. Yeah, perfect. So, at what point do you think it is wise for someone? to seek additional support from a professional like yourself to help them with their grieving if if they feel they're not coping on their own? Uh, I think really at any time. There's no hard and fast rule. Um, again, it's a very individual thing. I would suggest I, I've, I've spoken with people who've sought grief counselling um, after a traumatic loss and I've worked with people who are struggling with the shock, the very, very strong acute shock related to a, um, a traumatic loss. But really I feel sometimes it's more effective once that dust settles a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and you're able to notice if you're really not coping or function, functioning in daily life. So so, so sometimes, um, I mean, I know that um, our our community services are a lot better at providing trauma counselling when something serious happens that affects a community and they will have counsellors available straight away to, for people to talk to. But sometimes because people are in shock and, you know, that's a, that's a physical stress response, that's a limbic system fight, flight, freeze response, it's not necessarily going to be as effective as long-term grief counselling can be. Okay, great. Then I guess to to kind of hit a point which um, I know definitely is relevant to many of our listeners, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I guess moving away from grief, generally speaking, and looking at it more specifically as related to possessions and clutter. Mm-hmm. A lot of our listeners either are currently or, you know, most of us in future will face a task at some point of managing a loved one's estate and their belongings once they're gone. And it usually is a bit of a minefield because of the strong feelings that people have of sentimentality or possibly denial or anger or whatever they might be feeling at the time. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice around that how grief might either prevent us from parting with things or cause us to part with things really hastily which might you know later we might later regret um do you have any advice or suggestions around that kind of scenario that's such a good question um I, I, I grieved the loss of a, a Princess Leia figurine for de- decades before I found another one in a comic store one day and bought it for myself. But in all seriousness, managing estates can be some of the most difficult um, experience and, and, and most difficult part of a grieving process and grief experience. Some people may just see things as items and and not have an emotional connection to them. Um, so, again, it's sort of an in individual thing. I guess it depends how people, uh, I'm sure in your experience doing your work, you've seen that people can be very different in their connection to items. Um, so some may be happy for them to go. Um, others may feel that they need to keep those items close in an attempt to keep the person or thing or pet um, closer or with them for a little bit longer. If I'm honest, if I, uh, from where I come from, if you feel that you truly can't part with the item, then keep it or find a way to repurpose it, like the, what you described, the way that you refinish that that piece of furniture. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it was it belonged 
to the person you'd lost, but, you know, I, I hear of people repurposing the clothing of the person they've lost and having them made into quilts mm-hmm. so that they can keep those items close to them but but in a functional way. Um, mm-hmm. Others may need to just keep on keep the item until they feel they're in a position to, to think clearly and assess properly to be able to determine the, the place that that item has in their life going forward. Um, so it may be that you do hold on to it initially and then in time decide, no, I'm okay, I'm ready to let go of this. Um, but most importantly, I guess my, and this goes for the whole grief process really, um, is is to be true to yourself and to do it how you feel you need to um, and take take the suggestions of others with grace but don't feel pressured into doing anything until you're ready to. And, I, yeah, as I said, I mean, I really feel that goes to the whole grief experience. Everyone's going to have an opinion on what you should be doing, um, but realistically, if it doesn't feel right, as long as you are safe and you are, there is movement in your grief, grief journey that you're not staying put and getting stuck, um, then do it your way. But on a side note, I was just going to add that one one thing that I like about uh well, in my personal experience, one thing that I found really lovely was when we have lost people, um, instead of being given flowers, we've been given plants and those plants, mm-hmm. some of those plants still exist in my garden and bloom every year and they're really lovely for bringing that loved one back to us even for a brief moment when you see a flower blooming on the plant. So, so you know, if anyone feels funny about giving flowers, maybe buy a plant instead. Yeah, and I think I think there's um, some incredible ways that you can honor the person and honor their existence, and honor, I guess, your grief and, mm-hmm. and validate your grief without um, without it being a negative or heavy experience. I know we did um, for years. I think the first ten years after my mum passed from cancer is on her birthday each year we would send a huge bunch of flowers uh, to the oncology ward where she Mm. was getting her chemo treatment just Mm -hmm. to keep in the chemotherapy room and it was not I mean we never spoke to the people like I obviously called reception (laughs) the first time and said this is what I'd like to do can are you happy to receive them have you got a place to put them and they're like that would be amazing Mm -hmm. and it was like we didn't hear back from them we just assumed that they were brightening someone's day and that that was not even about the people there. It was about mm-hmm. us. It's what we felt we needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as my kids got a bit older, some of our tradi- traditions around that and honouring the person have changed. But I think um, so for me, some of the the traditions that we have around remembering my mum and, and celebrating her are not, for me personally, attached to items of hers that I've kept. Mm. It's more about the way that we remember and celebrate. and. It's a, it's definitely a process. So I think, I think what you said before about everyone just being true to themselves and and finding their own their own way through and what feels right for them is just is is a beautiful piece of advice because we can mm-hmm. get so stuck in what other people suggest or what the internet tells us the right stage is to be at this point or mm-hmm. you know. So. Um, before we finish up, is there anything else you would like to add about grief that we haven't already covered? I think um, just very quickly to, to flip it to um, to someone 
supporting someone through grief. I think a lot of people misunderstand that a lot. And as I, I've referred to a couple of times, grief does make people feel uncomfortable and so they feel like they're fumbling through that period supporting the person. And I guess I really just wanted to let your listeners know that um, when people lose someone, they don't want them to be gone and they want to um, continue to experience them. And so it's okay to talk about them. It's okay to um, share memories. In fact, it's so important to share memories and um, and be able to keep that person alive for a little while and, and not fear that you are going to upset the person or cause them distress by reminding them of their grief. A lot of people will say, you know, that, that they're not going to be reminded of it because it's there all the time, particularly in those early days. People are really fearful of saying anything for, for fear of upsetting them. It's like, it's okay, I'm already upset. Mm-hmm. And I know, so when I, I lost my mum, I know I found that really difficult because I found people so awkward around me, people who would normally speak freely with me kept a wide berth. Um, and I found that quite hard and upsetting. And it's like, I, I'm still the same person. You're, you're not going to harm me or hurt me. I, I, I still want to be able to talk mm-hmm. and, and be involved in everyday things. Um, I'm just going to choose how I do that. But I really found that other people chose how I did that for me. And that was, that was, something I struggled with, if I'm honest. So I think it's really important for people who are supporting someone who's grieving to to just be yourself and allow the person to be themselves and um, and really acknowledge your own discomfort and and work with that in order to more effectively support someone. That is a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> so, Steph, where can we find you? I know that I follow you religiously on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You dish up so much goodness on there. Oh, thank um, you. Where else can we find you? Where, where, what's your? Can you let us know your website and um, what your social handles are so sure. that everyone can find you online? Uh, well, I do try and keep things pretty simple because um, otherwise my head gets a bit too cluttered. <laughs> um, so I only have um, Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, it's at arena underscore counselling. Uh, Facebook is just at Arena Counselling um, and my website is www.arenacounselling, spelt with two L's for your American audience, um, arenacounselling.com.au. Um, but also just to put a little plug in at the end, um, myself and two other colleagues um, have created the Canberra Counselling Collective. So anyone located in Canberra, if they're trying to find someone to work with, they can have a look at that Facebook page and every month we list um, practitioners who have availability. That is brilliant. I'll put I'll put a link to that in our show notes too so that people locally in Canberra can um, can have a look. Good. Thank you so much, Steph. My pleasure. It's been absolutely wonderful. It's, it feels like a personal therapy session and I hope everyone <laughs> listening got something out of it too. And I, I hope I, so I think too. There's lots, of, lots of wisdom in there and lot, lots of stuff to think about both on the if you're going through grief yourself but also if you're supporting someone through that so thank you so much for joining us today it's been my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me you're so welcome and we'll be back with you again next week thanks for joining us we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered 
If you would like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at rebeccamazino.com.au and basklifecoaching.com. Mm-hmm.